0: This episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by our friends at Ultraviolet. What is that you're drinking, Izzy? This is a spicy mezcal margarita, which is, as you know, my summer beverage of choice. Very nice, I'm sipping on a stone cold glass of rosé, very much wishing we were by the beach in Australia right about now. Me too, but New Zealand we may not be able to enjoy the perfect down under summer, but you, our angelic listeners are, and alongside our friends at Ultraviolet, we're bringing you six weeks of full of fantastic summer content so you can have a very ultra summer on our behalf.
1: As you've no doubt heard us mention many, many times by now, Ultraviolet is our favourite sunscreen brand on the planet. They've completely transformed sunscreen by making a formula that looks and feels like skincare, so you can protect your skin every day without clogging your pores or lugging around a big, ugly, greasy tube.
0: After the crazy old year that we have all had, Ultraviolet wants you to kick back and enjoy a well-earned break, spending the summer living your very best, very ultra life. So you might be wondering what it means to be very ultra, and basically it's the next step up from Extra. It's walking an Extra 15 minutes to go to the coffee shop that serves the brand of oat milk you like, guilty as charged or spending an unreasonable amount of money on a birthday cake that matches the exact shade of your mint green sequin dress. Grace, guilty as charged. It's also taking a whole afternoon to yourself to read a book about an issue you're passionate about, or spending a bit more money to buy from brands whose values you align with, or, um, in my case, using a whole roll of film in one night just so you can upload the one cute photo you think you got on your vintage camera to Instagram. That's very ultra, even, like buying a film camera for the insta aesthetic for the gram i know i can't upload any other photos now i've got myself stuck (laughs) in this hole you're trapped in the aesthetic
1: (laughs) so basically being very ultra is about being an awd girl it's being full of substance while also being a little bit silly with a little touch or more than a touch of chaos added to the mix. And so because we all know you embody the very ultra lifestyle so perfectly, we'd also love to hear from you. Please send us through a voice note to hello at afterworkdrinks.net with your very best ultra moment. And each week we'll play our favorite in the episode. Plus, if your voice note gets played, you'll get
0: sent a special gift pack from Ultraviolet on us. And just because we love you, you also get an exclusive discount code that works for the entire summer up until February 28th. All you need to do is enter AWD10 at the checkout at ultraviolet.com.au for 10% off your order on anything except for limited edition sets. One use per person and not available with other offers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of After Work Drinks. Grace O'Neill. Hello Isabel Truman. How are we? Good you know same old nothing to report still in the house. How are you?
1: (laughs) I'm exactly the same. I've basically just become an extension of this chair. That's where I live my entire life now. Yeah I think I'm
0: just slowly um, but steadily losing the plot day by day so much so that I don't the really notice point. it's happening, and then I kind of realize that I'm doing something really insane. Like, just before I was like standing on the kitchen bench, um, <laughs> <laughs> just like being a real weirdo. Then I was like, okay.
1: That is a bit concerning, actually. We mm-hmm. need to get like a social worker check up on you.
0: <laughs> I know. Standing That's on the bench. I
1: know, and I was doing like star jumps in the kitchen before. <laughs> Um, So we're back with another installment of our Very Ultra Summer, and this week we are so excited to be talking to Mavorni Hazel. Mav is to us the kind of definition of being very ultra, firstly just aesthetically, if any of you follow her on Instagram, which we're sure you do, um, she has undergone many drastic beauty transformation in the last few years, including bleached eyebrows, which we will talk about. Pink hair, blonde hair, black hair, bangs, no bangs, everything you can imagine. And she also just has the most incredible sense of style. Um, She was rocking knee length, heeled leather boots during quarantine. So she's just (laughs) (laughs) kind of
0: our vision of what being ultra is. I know, I was looking at her photos before and I was like, God, I'm going to chop my hair off, go bleach blonde, dye my fringe pink and start wearing um, like, like a mini skirt and a-, <laughs> yeah, a mini skirt and um, really intense eyeliner. I just never thought I would wear eyeliner again, you know, after wearing it in your early 20s when you just would put it underneath your eye. And then now I'm seeing all these mm-hmm. hotties wearing it hot young like things. euphoria <laughs> style. I know I'm like, I'm too old for this um but most importantly the reason we wanted to talk to Mav was because of the fact that she's one of Australia's most talked about young actresses she is regularly dubbed by the media the next Margot Robbie and that's in part because she had a three-year stint on Neighbours and has recently broken out on her own starring in the critically acclaimed Aussie drama series Halifax Retribution (laughs) Halifax Retribution (laughs) why can't I say retribution (laughs) The new drama, I, can't say it. <laughs> I was having like really real trouble before saying, um, spelling sandwich, so That's hard. um, Halifax, maybe I need to say them separately. Halifax Retribution. <laughs> this is like the closest we're gonna get, I <laughs> think.
1: what's funny is you're being like why can't i say retribution and like
0: then you're saying it normally but <laughs> I know. Say that. <laughs> refreshingly mavourney says her sites aren't necessarily set on cracking it in hollywood because she has a longtime love of australian film and tv and is really passionate about supporting the local industry here there <laughs> she's also an advocate for diversifying our local media landscape and inspired by the likes of Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Michaela Cole has aspirations to produce and direct projects about complicated female characters. So
1: she's totally hilarious. She's an open book. She's very candid about her own mental health struggles, which was a part of the conversation we particularly loved. Um, And we just adored every part of this conversation. So we're really excited for you to listen. Please share if you loved it. And we will
0: see you next week. See you next week with my bleach blonde pixie cut. (laughs) and Blonde eyebrows. (laughs)
1: Hello.
2: Hello. Hey, wait, your audio is really bad. I don't know what it is. Does that sound any better? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yay. Oh, my God, amazing. Okay, good, 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 good. good. How are you, Gorge? What's
1: this Yay! beautiful mint green
2: house? Oh, yeah, I'm currently living... <laughs> um, I'm living, like, in a set house at the moment. So I'm living with... like So Doris is an actor and she does five bedrooms like a channel 10 series and she lives in Sydney usually but when they finished season two they were like oh we have to keep the lease obviously for like the next season so they were like do you want to move in and then my place flooded at the start of like lockdown so like I moved in so I'm like living in like a
0: city. It does look like a fake house it looks like a zoom background
1: it looks like you're on green screen yeah it's amazing.
2: Everything in here is, like, art department and stuff. Like, it's so funny. Like, and there's still, like, marks and, like, a <laughs> like, gaffitate with, like, AD and, like, costume and stuff everywhere. It's, like, so funny. Were you
0: quarantining alone?
2: No, like, because my place flooded. Like, the fucking angels were looking out for me because I normally live alone. So when I was, now, I was like, fuck, like, I'm, I was already not in a very good mental state. And I was like, I'm going to die. um and then my place flooded and they like discovered he was like oh you've got black mold in all your walls like you have to move out and I was like thank you thank you thank you Jesus with
1: all this black mold um so we wanted to start by asking you what it was what it has been like being an actor during this period because obviously so much would have been stunted and you're in a very like transitionary period in your career where you've just finished Neighbours and you're in this moment where you're looking at what you want to do next and now things have been kind of momentum died so like what's the experience been like?
2: It was like, I look at it now and I'm like, it was like such a blessing because I look back at like, for so many years, like it was like, I always knew what I wanted to do in life. So like, it was like tunnel vision It's how I identified myself and like went through life being like, I'm an actor. I want to be an actor. And it was always like hustling, like wanting the next job. And like after high school, moved to Sydney, then got neighbors. So it was like bang, 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 bang. And then having it taken away from me made me realize like, I was like, fuck, like I feel like I don't have... I don't know who I am outside of this and like without this like label on me. So like, it was a blessing in that it was like this like freedom of like, okay, cool. Like who else am I outside of being an actor? And like, how do I see myself and how do others see me besides this? So it was like really like freeing at the start. We went through two lockdowns, opposites, mental state wise. I mean, the first one like wasn't great either. I moved from Sydney to Melbourne just because, like, my mental health was, like, really, really bad. And then the COVID happened, bleached the eyebrows off that phase. And then...
0: <laughs> um, you, like, skipped the fringe phase and went straight to the eyebrows?
2: Yeah. And then we had, like, that little glimpse of like, a few weeks of freedom. So there were, like, a few auditions during that time, but it was just, like, really weird. And, like, everyone was in the same boat, so casting all understood that, you know, like, we couldn't be going to studios and we couldn't be, like, filming things properly. But the second lockdown, Melbourne actors were, like, treated like lepers. Like, we weren't getting auditions for anything, um, which was kind of good. I mean, we I did have, like, one or two come through, but I just, like, mentally couldn't do them. Like, I had to have a conversation with my agent and be like, I physically can't do this right now. Like, I'm struggling to be myself, let alone like pretend to be, to play someone else right now. But I mean, the industry, like, so much did shoot here. Byron was buzzing with projects, and even like my hometown, like Adelaide, like, so much is happening there. And so it's, it, it is good. Like, if you lived in Byron or Sydney or Queensland, you were like guaranteed a job. But um, it was pretty, pretty shit to like sit, um, can't leave your house and having to watch like all your friends vicariously be on sets and stuff um, but it was the growth year so like hopefully that's made my my acting like better
0: were you kind of thinking post neighbors like what was were you kind of thinking of trying overseas and LA etc before all this happened
2: no I was always very like adamant that I wanted to stay in Australia and like build a really strong foundation here but it also felt like I had a lot to prove to myself before I went over there. I mean, Neighbours is like incredible and it's like such an incredible like learning instit- institution, but it's also like a bubble. And for three and a half years that I, I was there for, I didn't see any casting directors. Like I barely even spoke to like my, my agent and that was just like the nature of the job. So I felt like I had a lot to prove to myself as an actor um just you know like getting a script and not reading it as piper um but also like to my agent and to like casting directors so and also we have like a lot of stories that are being told here and um so yeah I was always like very adamant that I wanted to keep working in Australia and ideally the goal would be to do something here that like took me over there or you know you're always able to audition um in Australia for jobs overseas and whatnot so yeah I'm like out of the stuff that we do in Australia and like the drive that just came out with like Eric Banner and mm. like I just saw that and I was like, yes it's so good to see an Australian story and it like it's done well so yeah I'm excited about the industry here and I want to be a part of it
1: um can we go back a little bit to talk about realizing you wanted to be an actor when you were a kid What was like, what were you watching? What was the moment? What was your light bulb moment? Were you like a precocious little theater kid?
2: I wish like I had that like epiphany, that aha moment where I was like, this is what I want to do, but I just, I mean, it makes for a very boring story, but I just feel like I had this like innate knowing that it was what I wanted to do. I wish there was a film or like a cinematic experience that like awoke something like, I watched the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't. I think it was just like, I feel like it's such a cliche to hear actors be like, I was always playing as a child. and just You know what I mean? But like, I was, I was like playing fairies up until like 15. Far too old to be playing like spider wig. <laughs> So yeah, thank God I found acting. Um, but yeah, it was just a combination of knowing what I wanted to do um, and having parents that actually like really supported like a nonlinear career and like nurtured that in me. And, you know, I said I want to do, I want to do acting classes. So like they made that happen for me. Uh yeah. So I'm like lucky that um I found this like sanctioned space that like I could continue to like act and pretend and play different characters because you reach an age in society where like you can't be playing in the garden anymore <laughs> so
0: now up. so you moved out of home straight out of high school um, to be closer to your agent and then you went to university and um you've said that you had a bit of an existential crisis that year can you talk us through that a bit like what was going on
2: so straight after high school I mean I would have been what well, I had just turned 18 and I was like, I'm going to move to Sydney and like had this very romanticized vision of how like life was going to be. So like, I'm going to move to Sydney and like get a cool job. It's like a barista or like needle, like these like cool people and like, I'll just like packed and like smoke and drink and it'll be so fun and chic. And then I got to Sydney and I was like, Oh, this is so hard. And like, was like, couldn't get a job anywhere. Was so broke. Um, was living alone which now looking back I'm like that why the hell did I live alone for so many years I really thought that like I was thriving but I was not and um, this is the first time I'd ever lived with people and I'm like wow so then I moved back to Adelaide and I got a job at a fruit and veg shop um Oh my just so bad. It was so so bad. My boss was like so sexist, Um and like ugh, just homophobic. It was just like awful, awful, awful. But I was like very like young age to be having such a moral dilemma. I was like, I need money to move back to Sydney, but like I hate this environment. What do I do? What do I do? Um, also, like there were so many moths in the place, and like I have a phobia of moths. And I, <laughs> yeah, and then I was just like, Fuck, something's got to change because this ain't it. This is not the place for me. Um, saw myself in that moment. I went, I have to make some serious changes. We've
0: all been through some like horrible jobs I mean being in, you worked at Ben and Jerry's I don't even think that was a bad job for you yeah that was a that was the best job of my career so far which I was still there
1: <laughs> yeah. it's character building I think it's I think the worst thing you could do to a child is not let them have a horrible demeaning hospitality job at some point
2: <laughs> the no. worst thing you could do that's number one. Is <laughs> the worst thing. I'm watching Stars of Sunset at the moment. I don't know if either of you know what that is. It's like what is it? It's a reality show about these like really rich like Persians. Yeah. In LA, and like GG 35 never had a job, and I'm seeing there being like, "Girl, you need to be scrubbing pots and pans because character development." <laughs>
1: get reads. get reads. i know a great fruit and veg shop where i can get you in
2: <laughs> just say my name at the door <laughs> yeah so like that was grim but like we've all been there you know um and then i was like yep yeah, something's got to change as we all you know have had that that inner monologue you know ben and jerry's the awful servo cafe something's got to change um kick up the ass and so i was like i need to be in sydney so I applied for uni. So I was like, at least I'll be meeting people and not just be like sitting in my apartment all day watching Kitchen Nightmares and waiting for it to be an acceptable hour to go to bed. Um, and yeah, so moved to Sydney and then a semester later got Neighbours.
1: Neighbours is, um, I don't know if it's the same few, I'm sure it was, but a girlfriend of mine was in Home and Away. And she said, of all the roles I've ever done, the only one where I had people like freak out when they saw me on the street follow me around like totally lose their mind was when I was in Home and Away because it has such a fanatical fan base and I was wondering if Neighbours was like that where you suddenly got this strange type of fame
2: yeah like I mean like a very very loyal fan base and I think it's like no Man and Away Home and Away <laughs> Neighbours um a str- like as I said, fans are like very loyal and Australia has always been really loyal to Home in a way, and the UK has been always extremely loyal to Neighbours. So my experience was, a, it was definitely like lots of parallels to that, but it was a bit different in that um, the following came more from like social media here in Australia, but then going to do publicity in the UK was like wild. And it was like, I felt like I forgot that like we were filming a show at some point in Australia because you know, like we just didn't have the, that same level as like fandom, like very like active, like in person. But then over in the UK, it was like wild, like wedding outside your hotel room and like logies as well. Like they they would all come there and like, it would be like incredible. And be, like wow, like people actually watch it. Like it's so like cool to see people. Yeah, I think it's it was like more prevalent, like for, for on social media, like that following. Um, I remember once when I I went, the first time I went to the UK, I was like so excited. I was like, this is like where all the, I would have been what, 19? Yeah, it was when I just started. I was like so excited. And Ari was over there who played my sister. And like the more of you there are together, the like more, it's like confirmation that that's them. Like there's five of them. It's definitely them from this. Um, and this, this girl came up to Ari and I and was like, oh, my God, like to Ari, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe we're meeting people, blah, 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 like, can I have a photo? And she asked me to take the photo and I was so by her. I was like, no. It was like my first experience as well at like <laughs> meeting an audience <laughs> this isn't quite what I remember. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, yeah, sure, I can take the photo. Like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's the
0: like the photo, the videos now of um, people pushing kim kardashian out of the way to get to paris hilton
2: oh my <laughs> god like, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah girl yeah, it's you're exactly kim. the same
0: as that <laughs> it's the same yeah <laughs> yeah you're kim
2: yeah exactly oh my god that's a whole oh, we could talk about that topic for ages now
1: we're going to take a very quick break here to hear from the winner of this week's very ultra moment don't forget to send yours in to hello at afterworkdrinks.net for your chance to win a prize pack from ultraviolet Kia ora after work drinks whānau. Um, I thought I'd tell you about my very ultra moment. Long story short, I've just ended a long-term relationship and my ex thought it would be a great idea um, to call me and talk about the possibility of our future. Uh, needless to say, uh, that was emotionally draining. So I rocked up to work the next day, probably not in the best shape of my life. I did have a bottle of wine the night before and I thought, hey... You know what would make me feel real good right now? A pedicure. So I just absconded from work in the middle of the day, went to the nail salon and got my nails did. It was a bit of a self-care moment and I definitely felt very ultra afterwards.
0: What was it like deciding to leave? Because that must have been a pretty huge decision to make.
2: Yeah, like it's definitely like a place that you... I could... I can see why people stay there for so long. Like, and there were definitely days where I was like lulled into this, oh my God, I could stay here forever sort of thing. Like it, it is such a family, the cast, the crew, and you know, it shows like cast are there, for, have been there for like 20 years. Like that's merit to the environment. Um, But I, I don't know. I feel like I was just like ready to learn on like a different set and not to say that I felt like, oh, I learned like all I could there, but I was just like ready to play other characters and to grow and like spread my wings a bit and yet to learn from other actors and like other sets and other characters. Like I learned a lot from Piper and same with every other role that I play. Like you learn a lot, you take a lot from that character. And I was just like really ready to do that. Um, And as I said before, like it is such a bubble there and I was living in Melbourne for three and a half years and like my only friends were from the show. So I was like, I feel like I need to like just pull the rug out from underneath me and just like go. So I moved to to Sydney and yeah, started again, I guess.
1: Was there an element of you that felt maybe, I don't know how to frame this, but like those years, like 19 through to your early 20s, they're quite formative in you figuring out who you are. Was there a level of you that maybe felt like, you were being stunted from exploring other things by being in this kind of role for, for such a long period of
0: time.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like it sounds so trivial and so small, but like I couldn't ever do anything to my hair. I couldn't change my nail color. And I know they sound like such small things, but it really played into this complex that I had where I didn't know where like Piper ended and I began. Because one, from the minute I read her character description, I was like, oh, I know who this girl is, like, oh my god, it's me, like, we're so similar, and I was like, so excited by that, but now reading scripts, it's something that, like, if I pick up on, I'm, like, oh, that's, like, a dangerous, it's a dangerous arena to be, like, in, to be very, very similar to a character, it has its strengths and perks, but it also has, like, a lot of downside, um, yeah, so in that, it was, like, really hard to come home and to not look in the mirror and, like, see Piper, because I couldn't, I couldn't change anything like that, and, as I as you said, like I was at a, I was really young, so you didn't go get to like go to festivals and like just like stupid like teenage stuff, you know what I mean? Because um, we were working like a nine to five. Um, I remember like Lily and I, who's like still a very good friend of mine. She played Xanthi on the show we were like, we're going to go to Splendour. Like, we're going to, like, fuck it. Like, we are going to go to Splendour and we're going to, like, have this, like, teenager, like, weekend and, like, blow some steam and have some fun. And it was incredible. It was really, really fun. But, um, yeah, it did. It was a bit stifling. Probably why I rebelled so much aesthetically <laughs> when I left.
0: Um, yeah. You've, um, so you've been dubbed... The next Margot Robbie, which must feel quite, I'm sure it would be quite flattering, but also kind of there's like, that puts quite an unnecessary amount of pressure on you, I imagine. Like, how does it feel when people put you in these boxes or put these labels on you based on other actors?
2: The comparison is like amazing. Of course it is. Like who wouldn't want to be compared to her for a number of reasons? Her career is amazing. Um, it doesn't put, Pressure on me, like I personally don't. It doesn't add any pressure to me, just purely because I know what I want to do with, with, in my career, and Margot's career is her own path, you know. And like mine's gonna look very different to that, and like I'm aware of that. So like it's inspiring the the comparison as opposed to I don't feel like I need to be following in her footsteps at all. Like I'm, I know what I want to do and. Hopefully I'm able to do that.
1: It is. It's just, it must, we were just thinking how it must be frustrating. I think you don't really get men called like the next Brad Pitt. Like it's always just like he is an exciting new actor and it was kind of interesting and like every interview we looked up with you, like they all had dubbed the next Margot Robbie. Like we I, I were just like, it must be a weird thing to always be framed that way.
2: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've I've never thought of it like that. I'd never read it like that. Um, mm, that's a really good point. <laughs> no, I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like all these things and like you've completely like switched out my lens on that now. Um, I don't know, maybe I don't is it like I don't know why they do that. Is it maybe- Palatable, perhaps like I don't know
1: yeah it seemed like how Michaela Cole was like everyone was like this is the next Phoebe bridge and the Phoebe bridge was like the next Lena Dunham and it's just like when are we just gonna be like here's just another tv show that you should watch
2: oh, yeah, good. that's like a really good point I mean yeah that kind of leans into then like what I'm saying like I like I don't let it like I'm not gonna be the next Margot Robbie I'm gonna be that sounded so <laughs> wanky, but like I hope you know what I mean. It didn't, like, it didn't. Like, yeah, it's, it's like when it's like being introduced um as like you're like, oh, this is Harry's girlfriend. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm I'm this I am yeah. a boy, I'm not Harry's girlfriend. <laughs> like I am a person. Um yeah, no, it's amazing. Also, like, her work ethic on Neighbours was, like, amazing. The, the crew couldn't stop raving about her. She was, like, a really, really hard worker. So when the crew would say, like, oh, you have, like, similar qualities or X, Y, and Z to Margot," that I took a lot more. That carried a more weight to me um, and was, like, very flattered, obviously, when they said that. Um, but, yeah, media's funny. Headlines are funny. <laughs> um, So we...
0: Also, I wanted to just touch on the film industry in general, um, because it feels like the industry is changing so drastically, even just the diversity of films this year and movies like Pieces of a Woman showcasing really complex stories about experiences like miscarriage. Are you excited um, by what you see in Hollywood today?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And like we've definitely like broken the glass ceiling, but like we have still like a lot further to go. I'm really excited and like now I understand why actors get into producing and writing and all that. Like it is so important and like so valuable. And I'm so excited to see that it's actually happening. I mean, like fleabag, like these really successful shows, you there's like a common theme in all of them and a pattern. And it's like Written, directed, produced, like starring this actor um, or this, this, this person, I should say. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited. I wanna see more of that though. Like I'm really sick of reading scripts of a teenage girl written by a 60 year old cis white man. Like no more. We need to stop doing that. It, their depiction is just, one, it comes from like the male gaze. like that version that you, it, that doesn't exist like the teenager that you're writing that doesn't exist but like it's perpetuated because we're fed it in like media and so we think that's how the way it should be but it's like not so, anyway um had a few roles like that. the classic like
1: baba pretty but doesn't know she is closed bracket oh, <laughs> well
2: like she's like always on her phone i'm like actually no like I feel like the women in the 50-plus category in my life are on their phone a lot more than people <laughs> in my generation. We're actually the ones that are aware of its impact on our mental health and everything, and we would be the first to be taking breaks on social media. Like, that depiction of, like, teenage, like, glued to their phone. Like, that like, no stop so <laughs> stop angry at my generation you know what i mean and like even you know on Halifax Rebecca Gibney was a producer on it and being asked in interviews like would you would you ever consider producing and i was i was like no way like i i feel like i need to keep my head down on this and focus on doing this because, like, I don't know how Beck did it. I was just in awe. Like, she'd finish a scene and they'd get on her phone and it was it was a crazy. And then after watching it and seeing how important the role of, like, an editor or a, produ- a producer is and how easy it is to, like, change a performance or change a narrative or change, like, who better to – the person telling the story knows the story the best. So, moving forward, like, I would – at some point in my career, I would really like to be attached to a project in that um, – in that role just to kind of protect like the integrity and purpose of like a story.
1: And it's exciting for you now, I guess, because there's so much like precedent for it, I guess, like even 10 years ago, if you said that it would have Mm. honestly sounded like Mm. out there and kind of like not, (laughs) not delusional, but it would have been like, okay, good luck with that. Whereas now it's like, no, we have all these references of people. I think even um, like ageism or like age is such a, under had conversation in this where Michaela Cole talked so much about people just thinking she was too young to be able to understand money or budgets or producing or to be able to too young to ask for proper credit because you're lucky to just be here whereas I think that's kind of like changing a bit now
2: oh absolutely and like so thankful for those like really strong women who like have paved that way and like given me permission to even be having this conversation with you right now and like having the confidence to say the things that I just said and to see that it like oh it can be done um yeah
1: do you feel that Australia is like at the same level in the conversations in terms of what's happening internationally or do you sometimes feel like you're in a room and you're like oh wait <laughs> this hasn't like got here yet
2: yeah um no I feel like we're at very different um points in, in the conversation and, like, the spectrum of what we're talking about. I feel like Australia, Australian film and television is still very much run by studio and, like, net in networks, I should say, so more to that free-to-air. Unfortunately, the networks are run by old white men. So there is still, like, a fear in um, telling, quote, risky, like, stories or just doing something that isn't safe. Like I feel like as we're scared to take risks in storytelling, whereas in America, I feel like that's really, really celebrated and there's a space for it. Um, But I I just don't feel like we're quite there yet. Like there are definitely things that as an actor in Australia, like I'm proud to be in the pool of, you know, like shows like Five Bedrooms and Mr. In Between. I'm like, this is incredible. Like if you haven't watched Mr. Between, watch it. It's phenomenal. It's so, so good. It's like a similar lead guy, producer, writer. Like it's just, it's chef kiss. So seeing that stuff, I'm like really inspired and like, yes, like I'm really excited to be a part of this. And then there are some network shows that I'm just like, no, stop trying women like this. It's like actively making me angry now. And there's also, I feel like whenever we do take those steps it's almost tokenistic. I don't feel like it's a genuine.
1: And so much is riding on it that if it's not some like runaway success then it's like treated as evidence that like women-led movies don't work or like you know Indigenous-led movies don't work. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay so we wanted to ask you about you've obviously touched on like wanting to work and make amazing work in Australia. Like, do you consider yourself an ambitious person and how far ahead do you plan and how much are you like rearing to take the industry by the balls? Like what's the internal monologue like? Oof. Girl, you don't
2: want to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I like, it's not, it's not something I've ever thought about. I have like an icky feeling about my association with the word. And I'm like, why is that? And I feel not to be like, make it like a feminist sort of question answer, but I feel like when women are labeled like called ambitious, it's like condescending, "Mm, that's ambitious. But like if a guy's like, oh, he's so ambitious, you know, he's like driven, he's a go-go. Same with like bossy, like a woman's a bitch if she's bossy, but a man's like, so that, I feel like it's very subjective, like on paper, Sure. It looks like I'm assertive. Like, no, that wasn't the the question. What was the word again? Ambitious. (laughs) Assertive. I I finished high school, like moved to Sydney, like bang, 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 bang. But I would credit um, a lot of other attributes to like my quote success rather over my ambition, and that was like having supportive parents, being in a position of privilege as a white young girl um i don't know like i'm really torn between like there are lots of times i was just like not lucky not to diminish or like write off like my what i have done but it's this weird combination of like right place right time who you know having the right conversation with the right person like just stupid like things like that but of course i have goals and dreams and like what I want to do but I don't let it twist me and like torture me or plague me anymore and I feel like last year was a really good you had to surrender to whatever happened last year and like universally it was a shared experience we had to just kind of surrender to whatever was going to happen um and from that I look and I'm like okay I'm really happy with where I am now everything seems to be falling into place so as long as like I have like my goals and I blinkers on and like don't get distracted by other people's success and stuff I focus on myself and like my lane then it's all gonna fall into place yeah I thought it's a very subjective word I feel like to call yourself this is like quite like it's very like ego soaked but I don't
0: know yeah and I think also people project that onto you like we were talking today and I was like I always thought that I was yeah I always thought that I was ambitious or, or like like to work or something and that's because other people always used to tell me that and then now that I'm freelance I'm like god I love not working and doing anything like I need someone to actually be like this was due yesterday or I just won't do it
2: yeah absolutely I mean I even like googled the actual definition of it because I feel like my definition of it is so distorted because I've like I've associated it with a negative thing for a really long time so like even seeing it in your question I was like what's the actual definition of this word um because i've only really ever really had it like mm, she's ambitious like mm.
1: and that's a real aussie thing as well i think because i think if you're in america if you're ambitious it's like
0: only a um a positive
2: yeah so yeah maybe so yeah it's a reflection of like a culture reflection
0: kind of tall poppy syndrome or whatever
1: yeah there's definitely tall poppy things where if someone's like a bit ambitious you're like settle down <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, to stay here. you
0: have dreams? Stop <laughs> those dreams. Um, so we wanted to circle back to man- mental health quickly because you touched on it a bit at the start of our conversation. Um, when we were all talking about how horrible lockdown has been, how have you kind of kept your mental health in check over the past twelve months?
2: Yeah, so I started at the start of 2020. I started um under like. Psychiatrist started um a type of antidepressant and it really didn't agree with me. Like it made me worse. That's when the eyebrow phase like I was I was taking Lexapro and it just had the like opposite, it made me manic and like really bad, like dissociation, Just like awful. And I was like, if this is meant to make me better, is this my is this my baseline? Is this what I'm actually doing?
0: wow that's it
2: was scary. Really scary, yeah it was like a really scary place to be and then talking to like my siblings and other friends who have kind of have similar uh, were at similar stages they're like no like medication isn't meant to have that effect on you i'm like okay something's gonna change so started a different one and she's great we love her she oh has God. restored all the things that you needed to restore um my family were incredible as well during that time like you can't lie to your mom. Like your mom can always see through like whatever you're trying to project into the world of like, I'm fine. Um, So my mom was amazing. Also not living alone now through living with people, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow. I've been like not okay for actually a really long time, but I was just, again, lulled into this. I was like, oh, this is how I'm, I'm meant to be. Like, I think I'm just like a sad person. Like, no, you're not meant to just be a sad person. Getting... My friends holding me accountable. I like I wasn't a good person. I wasn't a good friend during that time. And I was hurting the people around me, which made me even feel worse. It was so yeah, got the help that I needed. Started seeing someone regularly, told my friends, hey, I'm like not gonna reply for a week. Um, it's nothing to do with our friendship or with you. I'm just like, I gotta have the capacity for that right now. Yeah, just being honest and getting the help that I needed and having really supportive friends who like saw me and didn't let me spiral because yeah, I feel like it's scary, like when you're in that state, I don't know if I don't, am not speaking on behalf of you guys, but like, oh, yeah, we both know when you're in that. <laughs> state, oh yeah. Okay. You fully, fully like, I remember sitting with my psych and I was like, I feel like I have Stockholm syndrome with my depression because I feel like I've been lulled into this, like it was the only version of me that I knew. And it was like this comfort and to not be that was like very scary, but it's such a weird place to, to be in. There's almost this like romanticization, like this like tortured, like you, you kind of romanticize it when you're in that state. Like, I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I like to like make myself, I like to um, have a fun thing where I like to make myself feel worse on purpose.
2: Fully. Totally. Totally, it's like a completely different mindset. Like it was like I had two different people inside me, like the one that wanted me to be depressed, and the other one that was like my inner child, being like, no girl, like no, this isn't the way that it's meant to be, and it was like a constant battle between these two voices. Um, mm. Yeah,
1: and there's an element I think when you're like a creative person as well, because I think you. Um, there's a, there's something in your head that tells you like, maybe I'm supposed to suffer or this is like what I need to do to be the kind of person that can create things. Or like, I just think for me, I took so long to get help because I was, I, I like you said, romanticized being in mental pain. I was like, this is what you just need to do. And it's just so funny because the only times I've ever created good things I'm proud of has been when I got out of that, <laughs> But you think that it's helping it, but it isn't at all. It's just stopping it.
2: Oh, my God, absolutely. Like, what you just said, I think, is, like, we could have, like, an, a conversation for, like, an hour on that alone because I feel like there's a very shared experience in that in that similarly, you get lulled into thinking, like, this is the way that you're meant to be. Um, and same with my acting work. I was like, no, like, I have to be mentally unstable to all these like, um, because I was being praised for, for work during that time. Like no one knew that I was like really struggling. I didn't even really know I was at that point, but I was like, no, I need to keep all my, I need to be unhinged because it helps me access like all my emotions. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> no, that's not the way. And it's still something that every now and then, like that voice will creep up inside me. If I'm doing an audition or something, I always think like, I'm trying to like shut up that voice, but I'd think back to like, oh, if I was, you know, I'd be better at this before or, oh, you can't do this scene because, like, you're well. Ew. Like, it, it's the whole tortured artist thing is like a very, you don't have to be in pain or tortured to be a good artist.
1: No, in fact, like, I was reading Sid Barrett's book about that. Um, so Sid Barrett, do you know him? He was like the Pink Floyd guy. And he kind of like, he was like a founding member and he like kind of lost his mind doing LSD. And he's like very romanticized as this like beautiful, perfect artist that was tortured for the rest of his life. And like this book about him was really great because it was kind of saying he made good art in spite of being tortured. (laughs) Like it's remarkable that he made something through being mentally ill. It wasn't being mentally ill that made him create great art. It was a stumbling block you know he was like the way we see it is also twisted artists are remarkable because they make things through (laughs) mental difficulties it's not why they can make them
2: yeah fully talent from this affliction it's like mental affliction or like inspiration Mm. doesn't come from this from mental illness like you're still yeah you're you're it's just it's a bit you're just sick for a bit you know, it is not your identity.
1: Um, thank you for talking to us, Mav.
0: It was such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you so
2: much. It was an honour and a privilege. Love you. You're so welcome. Thanks, thank you so, thank you so much. Be safe. Have a good day. Mav. Bye, God. Bye.